Welcome to the Stewardship Leader Podcast, brought to you by the Christian Stewardship Network. CSN exists to encourage, teach, and connect church and stewardship leaders to help them create and lead healthy stewardship ministries in their church. You can learn more about CSN at christianstewardshipnetwork.com. Well, hey, everybody. Welcome to Stewardship Leader. I'm your host, Leo Sabo, and today we're going to discuss an important topic that's relevant to every church and every church leader, and that topic is giving data, metrics, giving metrics, uh, on why giving metrics matter and how it should impact your church's ministry. Joining me today is Ken Schaefer, Stewardship Minister at Brentwood Baptist Church in Brentwood, Tennessee. Welcome, Ken. Thank you for joining me today. It's great to be here. Hello, everybody. Well, Ken's been a friend of CSN. Many of you know he's been on here before and has many years of experience working in stewardship ministry, both in the church and outside the church. So, Ken, would you uh, give us a brief overview of your years of service in stewardship ministry and your current role at Brentwood? Sure. I uh, exited the marketplace in 2011, built a successful company, sold it to a publicly traded firm, fell over backwards into stewardship ministry. I didn't know it was a thing. So I was the stewardship pastor at Christ Fellowship in Miami, Florida. Followed that with a time at Dave Ramsey. I know a lot of our uh, of our CSN folks from there where I served with, I helped serve a lot of the largest churches in the United States. And when I left that, I joined the Brentwood team. I was already attending Brentwood. So I currently am the stewardship minister of Brentwood Baptist. And I do uh, campaign consulting and generosity work with Generis as well. Awesome. You are a very talented individual. Love your input into this space. You bring a lot of uh, value. And so thank you for discussing this issue. Uh, that's so important to churches. And, you know, generosity is a core principle of Christianity. It's impossible to look at the teachings of Jesus and, and his personal life examples of generosity and sacrificial living and walk away thinking, ah, it's it's not a significant part of who we are called to be. Of course it is. Uh, as followers of Jesus, we are to do what he taught initially to disciples and what we are taught to do from his words and from his life examples. So giving is an important first and foremost for each individual believer, but it's also very important to the church. And if it's going to effectively share the gospel and make disciples, which is what the church is called to do. So let's talk about why is giving metrics, uh, the tracking of what people give to the church, important. Uh, that's a great question. And I know that some people hear metrics or they hear about analytics and they have flashback to like eighth grade algebra. Mm -hmm. I think things are going to be complicated or they think it's something they don't need in real life. And when it comes to metrics in our church and especially giving metrics, giving metrics are important because they tell at least two things. Um, they're always telling a story. And the story is a story about business risk, how you're managing what's entrusted to you, what's your giving concentration look like, how many people are giving and how many aren't. There's a business risk on one side, and the other side of the story is a spiritual opportunity. Because when Jesus talks about finances and giving all throughout Scripture, what we find is that if you needed to take one single measure of somebody's spiritual health, the best measure to take is probably how are they doing in giving. Mm. And you can't, by definition, if you're measuring something, it's a metric. So I think that metrics are important because they tell a story. The story is about business risk, and the story is about spiritual opportunity. Yeah, I love that part because I think sometimes uh, when the, a church leader, especially the, the decision makers, not necessarily the financial folks, they think of that part of it as 
We just need to know what the numbers are so we can set the budget. And they don't always connect it to the spiritual side of things, right? Because I tend to think, and I kind of where my brain goes when I think of, of the giving to the church, it's the model that we all adopted from the Israelites, right? It was the money was brought to the temple and the offerings were given to the priests. And they were supposed to do certain things with it a specific way. In fact, two of the sons of Aaron didn't do it the way God instructed Moses it should be done. And they were literally killed on the spot, yep. which is pretty, I mean, that's that's very uh, troubling when you think about, well, if God had such a standard in the Old Testament in that time, when he instituted the temple and, and the whole religious service, if he had such high regard for how was to steward that tide, or how the priests were su supposed to steward that tide, do you think he's relaxed that? You know, and I, I tend to think he hasn't changed very much, at least according to scripture. Yes. Well, you know, one of the things I learned in um, in Stewardship Impact is that we will give a very real account for how we, as a church, how we steward what's entrusted to us. And one of the clear lessons of, of the SI workshop that CSN does is um, Luke 16, 11. If you haven't been trustworthy in managing worldly wealth, who's going to trust you with true riches? Right. So even whether you want to talk about the corporate health of a body by how they're giving collectively, which is one story everyone needs to understand, or you're talking about the spiritual health of an individual who's giving or not in a healthy or an unhealthy way, metrics are important. There's simply no way around that. And in thinking about what we were going to talk about today, um, I'm just thinking of, a, of a, a classic case that you may or may not have seen where if you, you have a church and you have one or two families that are significant contributors to the budget, and by significant, I mean somewhere between 20 or 15, 20 or 50 percent. Yeah. And so from a straight up management point of view, if all you're doing is setting the budget, you're like, hey, look, we're meeting our budget. You know, our, our budget is fully funded. But the reality is your bully, your budget is fully funded, but it's funded with a risk. And so you need to understand that to make wise decisions, which means that understanding metrics about your church is part of managing it well. You need to manage it well if you want to be entrusted with true spiritual riches with people to shepherd. Yeah, so so true. All right, so whom, whom do you think should see giving metrics at a church? I'm not sure there's a one-size-fits-all answer to that question. Mm -hmm. I do think that there are some there are some ways of thinking that have crept into um, especially our churches in the United States that are not necessarily biblical. And we all point to James where he talks about not showing favoritism mm -hmm. to, a, to a rich person who comes into an assembly well-dressed and give him a seat of special honor. Yeah. And so I think if we were to boil down why we think about privacy and giving data the way we do in church, I think a lot of times we would point to that passage. Um, so can we talk about that for just a second? Sure. Yeah. yeah, I mean, yeah. I think that passage primarily concerns itself with preference and not with privacy. Mm. So, like one of the reasons we don't we don't want to know we our pastors would say they don't want to know who gives what is because they don't want to give preference or special honor to someone. I think that's I think that's a I think that's legitimate, mm -hmm. uh, but I don't I don't think that that necessarily means that giving data is should be 128 bit encrypted metaphorically right and people right. need to know it um so i definitely think there are people that should not see giving data and the question the question i actually flipped the question when i was i was thinking about this when we ask who should give who should have access to giving data 
a variation of that question is, who should not see it? Hmm. Under what circumstances would we not see giving data? Um, and I came across a quote recently that I've been unable to source properly, but I'll tell you the quote because it's great. And anybody that's regular at CSN will love this. So you can just say that I said it. Um, it's anonymous giving leads to anonymous non-giving. Mm. <laughs> anonymous, anonymous giving leads to anonymous non-giving. Yeah, yeah. That resonates. So, that definitely makes it, sense. It resonates. And I think that anybody that spent time in ministry trenches will tell you that giving, giving data, especially changes in giving data, are pastoral opportunities. Mm. Um, and so giving metrics inform pastoral opportunities. And I, some examples. What, what do you mean? Yeah, here's an example. So uh, some years ago, when my first the first time I was a stewardship pastor, I started pulling. Um, I developed an algorithm. This was pre Mortarstone. Shameless plug for Mortarstone. Love their stuff. They're a CSN sponsor, and we use that. Yeah, thing we so love them too. That's all right. Uh, but pre Mortarstone, I developed this algorithm to tell when somebody stopped giving based on their giving frequency. Had somebody code it for me, and I would uh, every week or a couple times a month, I would give data to our campus pastors, and I would say, hey. You need to call these people. Like you've got a few hundred people on your campus. If you're going to make five calls this week. These need to be the calls. And I would get calls back from the campus pastor saying, how did you know I needed to call that person? I called. She's been sick in the hospital. We didn't know that she was in the hospital or mm -hmm. we didn't know that her aunt had died or that she lost her job or whatever. And what that shows us is a change in giving, a giving changing giving data is a pastoral opportunity. And the reverse is true. If somebody's giving data increases, you know, what happened? Yeah, you know, the, exactly. the, the um, very first time I, I got noticed by a pastor of the church, I, one of the churches I served was um, I sold my business and tithed. And they're like, hey, something happened with, with this guy. Who's who's he? Right. And I, and I got a card. And that, that was a correct move, not because it singled me out for a special treatment, but because something had gone on in my life and they wanted to be part of it. Yeah. So there, there's a couple examples. So a change in giving data, a change in giving pattern is a pastoral opportunity. So people that are concerned with pastoral opportunities need to know about giving data at some level. Yeah, which is every pastor, hopefully. Which is every pastor. Now, there's there's degrees. So I might, for um, in, in my role here, I try to filter that information out. Mm -hmm. Like I just say, hey, these are people you want to look at. Our pastors don't need to get into the weeds right. of any of that. Like they don't right. need to, they don't necessarily need to know numbers or amounts. Um, knowing that information, I think you've been on a staff team where you've known it. It, it can, it, knowing the information can be damaging. The nature of money is that it can be divisive. It can change your heart. We don't even know our own hearts. Our hearts are wicked. We deceive ourselves. Mm -hmm. So there, you need to approach those things with wisdom. But anybody that anybody that wants to pastor people uh, should be informed by giving metrics. Yeah. An, yeah. an equivalent example: if you don't, um, most large churches anyway have a metric. If you don't check your kids in two or three weeks in a row, you're going to get a call saying, hey, is everything all right with your son? Right, right. Shoot, I have my kid in a, in a martial arts class, and if he doesn't show up long enough, I get a text saying, is Derek okay? Yeah. Now, they're concerned about Derek. They're also concerned that if I'm not plugged in there, I'm going to stop paying him however much money a month I pay him to do his sure. martial arts class. Yeah. So similar, not entirely the same, but similar. Yeah, but I, you know, I think uh, most churches, I would say a, a vast majority of pastors out there are looking at this and saying, it's not that I don't care about the numbers and not, it's not that I don't want to know. I just want to make sure that I do it in a way that's not 
intrusive to people that people are are you know when they find out that I know they're not going to be shocked by that you know and and so it is a protection in in maintaining that above reproach status that they want to address but like you said they don't need to get into the weeds they don't need to know what so and so gave over the last 3 weeks and what he, she or he gave you know each individual time what they need to know is how is the spiritual temperature and the health of our people and i think keeping it more general and then also from a like you said a business risk perspective who's giving how many of the people that are giving are supporting a majority of the ministry that's going on here because if we were to lose one or two or five families with that have a significant impact on how many people we can hire to continue to do the ministry. Those are important things that a pastor should know, but it's not necessarily the detail of the information that's important. It's the fact that they need to have the right information and the right people need to see it. And at the right time. And I would, I would add, um, I'd add this just to chase that a little bit further. When I had that conversation with campus pastors, I said, Hey, I'm going to start providing you data based on giving metrics. And the most common response I get is, well, when I call them, how should I talk to them about the fact that they've stopped giving? Mm. Which I say, that's not what I'm asking you to do. Don't don't misunderstand what this is. This is not a fundraising call. And so I I learned something from a a man many years ago, actually now pastors a a multi-site megachurch, but when he was a single guy pastoring a campus, he said, whenever we were having a conversation just like this, he said, whenever I meet with three people, he was not yet married, had no children, no family. So whenever I meet with anybody, with any man, I ask him three questions to say, how's your job? How's your family? How are you doing financially? Mm. And the lesson from that is, well, first of all, he had a script, which was, I just thought interesting. He always approached any pastoral conversation with at least a basic outline. We can learn from that. Yeah. But if he ever does have a conversation with somebody about money, it's not going to be weird. Right. It's not the first time they've talked about it. And so if the very first time at every capital campaign consultant knows this, if you're sitting with somebody that you want to ask for a large check, but you have no relationship with that person, that's mm-hmm. a that's a fool's errand. Yes, um, I agree. So money needs to be part of the conversation. I have this phrase I use that I've kind of adapted from a few different sources. Um, when it comes to this conversation, faucets are better than fire hoses. A constant mm-hmm. drip of something, a little bit of flow is better than a full stream, anything that will knock you over. Right, right. I don't know if that's helpful to other people, but when I coach, that's a phrase that I use. No, I think it's it's excellent because it does, you know, you you brought up a really good point. If if the only time you address the issue of giving or money, uh, finances in general, is when the church has a need, that's going to be felt by that individual. And they're going to feel like, oh, so the connection, our connection, our relationship is based on my giving. They're right. going to boil it down to that. Whereas if the pastor is consistently talking about this topic as as an important part of our life, right? If he weaves those kind of messages and and examples, even personal examples of how they manage money, how they make decisions, then that person, that pastor reaching out to a family and saying, how are you doing? Is your family healthy? Are your finances okay? Is your job okay? That's not going to come across as weird because it's like that. He talks about that all the time. Those are the kind of the main things that he always is concerned about. So this wouldn't be a call like, why is he asking us about money all of a sudden? You know what I mean? So it is about having the conversation be consistent enough so it doesn't become weird. In my own personal world, there's only a handful of people that know the exact, my exact finances in terms of my balance sheet, position, all those things. And that'd be my certified financial planner, Mm -hmm. who's a kingdom advisors guy. 
uh, they don't sponsor us, so I get I get nothing. And, yeah. and my accountant, who's a kind of a seeking Catholic kind of guy, whom I really like, and they and and so those folks, um, but like my parents don't know that information. It's not things that we discuss. But you know what? I want to be a part of the church where I would trust my pastor with the giving with that kind of information. And I just had lunch with my pastor. So like, that's the kind of guy, and we don't discuss those things. I'm, I'm a, I'm, you know, I'm a kind of generosity champion at the church. So he assumes I've got that part of my life in order, but like character wise, I want, I want to be, I want to, I want to be a part of a church where I trust his character in this area, which by the way, I think is some, sometimes why pastors don't want to know the information because they're worried somebody's going to yeah, call them out. Ask them a question, right? Um, but but I want to be part of a church, and I want to be under the spiritual authority of men who, understanding that we're none of us are perfect and we might mis- make mistakes, but understanding, hey, that is a guy that if I had, I wanted to sort through something financially from a spiritual perspective, man, I want to go to my pastor. Yeah. Like who, yeah. if you can't trust your pastor to know those kind of details, well, why are you at that church? Yeah, yeah exactly. Yeah. I mean, if there's if that relationship is I only receive certain things, but I don't trust them with certain areas of my life, um, then that's that's questionable. That you you really need to you know pray through that. Uh, and and this is where Ken, I mean, this is where I really struggle when I look at the overall giving of believers to the church or not giving to the church is where I think, man, if the way I understand and what I know Scripture says about this topic and how important it is to my own personal life because of the decisions I had to make, the wrestle wrestling I had to do to give up things when I would rather have kept it for myself, those kind of things that we all, you know, we're in a process of development, right? Like you said earlier, the heart is deceiving above all else, right? Who can understand yes. it? That means that from moment to moment, my, my heart may lead me down a path where it becomes all about Leo's kingdom and building that up. And God sees that and says, you know, I care about your heart and I don't want it to be led astray. And I know you're still in this body and you're still not, you're still struggling with things. And so every once in a while, I'm going to come around and, and try to clean some of that up. Well, if I have no one in my life, especially my pastor, who I should trust with my spiritual development, if I don't trust him to speak into that situation, then who would I trust? I mean, you right. said it perfectly. How would I, who would I trust? I wouldn't trust my family. I wouldn't trust my friends. Uh, they wouldn't know. Like you said, who knows really our detailed financial information? Usually one or two people. Yep. Literally, the two people you mentioned are probably the only ones that would actually know outside yep. of maybe our spouse, obviously, hopefully. Yeah. <laughs> or, or, or your estate attorney, but you don't talk to him very often. <laughs> no, not very often. <laughs> so so, all right, so let's, let's, let's dig a little deeper here and say, what are the sure. risks of not knowing or understanding the giving data at your church? Uh, okay. The first one that pops to mind here really is, uh, is business, the business risk of revenue concentration. And a little bit of my own personal experience here. My wife and I, for many years uh, before joining the staff team, uh, a kind of in a different iteration of ministry, we were part of a very small, very, very small ministry that literally met in a storefront. So mm-hmm. if you if you t- hear about the average American church is a hundred people or less and has a bivocational pastor that meets in a storefront, I was the bivocational pastor and we oh. met in a storefront. <laughs> yeah. And I had a business that at the time was killing it. And we were we were a significant percentage of mm-hmm. the revenue of that church. Right. Yeah. Now I was running that and you could all point to examples like that um, to the point that when we left the church, they had to change some of their, they had to change their staff. Like that's, mm-hmm. that is a real world example of what happened. Yeah. yeah. Um, 
that is a that is a business risk. And it happens more often than you think, because especially in larger churches, you have people that are doing well and then you have people that are that are really doing doing well. Right. <laughs> so that's a lot of people that are in our CSN group. We come from a lot of many of us come from larger churches. So yeah. there is a business risk. If you only if the only rev, only statistic you know about your church is how much money is being given, and then you divide that by the number of people that are in the church, that is not a good statistic. Yeah. Yeah. Agreed. In fact, that's a that's just that's simply a bad idea. Well, I do hope that you're enjoying this conversation and we're gonna come right back to it. But I want to take just a minute to introduce you to one of our ministry partners. CSN's ministry would not be possible without the help of our partners. And frankly, we would want to do it without them. What they offer to churches and church leaders through services, content, and resources that they have is invaluable to building a healthy stewardship ministry and helping their people to become good stewards and generous givers. This episode of the Stewardship Leader Podcast is sponsored by Simple Donation. Simple Donation exists to make people in churches and faith-based organizations happy by creating world-class software. We focus exclusively on churches using Rock RMS and have deep expertise in Rock. We partner with Rock churches to leverage signals that can be used to aid in discipleship. This includes building out custom reports, workflows, and connection requests in Rock. In addition, with Simple Donation, you get uncommon service and a single vendor for all things payments. To learn more about Simple Donation, visit simpledonation.com. And then when it comes to the spiritual opportunities, there's the missed pastoral opportunities. Now, we talked a little bit about the people who who um, who, who don't give, mm-hmm. like, and that's a real obvious one. So in most churches that I've worked with, it's like 35 to 55% of the people don't give at all. Right. It's really, I think that's our collective experience. Yeah. Um, so that's that's the lowest hanging fruit. But I, I, the first time I ever heard the phrase tickled tither was with a was Calvary Chapel pastor years ago. And I heard him and he talked about that. He says, there's a spiritual risk in being the guy that tithes because mm-hmm. you think you, you think you've arrived. Yeah. I said, so now you're the, now you're the tickled tither. I'm like, oh, that that's interesting. That is interesting. I, do you use that phrase in the stewardship impact workshop or do you have something else for that? I don't know if Chris and Dave use that. Uh, I, I I don't remember them talking about it, so it's so, somewhat new but, to me. So that means, uh, but, but the idea the idea is this: the Pharisees tithed, mm-hmm. and they did it wrong. Yeah, not by not by, not transactionally. Their transactions were correct, but the conditions of their hearts were entirely wrong. Right. And so, even knowing even knowing who the people are in your church that are actually by the world standards killing or by the church standards killing it and giving. Like there's a spiritual opportunity there. Um, and, and you and I've talked about, hey, sometimes churches should do capital campaigns just to even if they don't need money, just yep. to challenge people, even if they give all the money away. And maybe this is something that churches can think about. Like, do you ever think as a church, do you ever think what's the greatest need in, in the one mile radius around our church? What is the greatest need? More than likely, your congregation already knows it or feels it and would get on board to help with it. And what if you just said, hey, let's just raise money to take care of that need as much as possible. We're gonna do it in this time frame, and as much as God gives us, we're gonna take and 100% of it is gonna go to that cause. People will get behind that because it's not building another building, it's not repairing the roof or the parking lot, it's something that's tangible. 
and it is spur of the moment generosity almost, right? It's not planned six months in a, ahead of time like a Christmas thing would be. So I think something like that is necessary. I know it's necessary for me. Like I need to be challenged from time to time to pry away some of the things that I've stored up for myself. Yeah. I just know that about me because I'm a security seeker by nature. And the more I have, the safer I feel. But I know it's a false security. And God knows that about me. So every once in a while, he makes it possible. Now, it's not always my church doing that. Most of the time it's not. But I think mm -hmm. churches need to understand that a pastor has this amazing privilege every week to disciple people in this very important area of finances and decision-making and generosity, which is part of stewardship. But if they don't take advantage of that, not from the perspective of the church needs more money or we need to do more with the ministry, but to inspire people to be everything God's called them to be, to take them deeper yeah. into trust and relationship with God. I would say in, another example of what you're talking about would be some kind of international crisis relief in response to an earthquake, a volcano, mm. some large movement of people. Yeah. Um, but coming back to your question, like to, re to return all that to metrics, mm -hmm. here's how metrics potentially plays into that discussion. Uh, and how, how it does that is you need to understand who you're talking to. Hmm. So let's say that you're pastoring in, um, I'm just trying to think of a zip code, Beverly Hills, 90210. That's a zip code just because, I mean, I heard there was a TV show with that yeah. name. So, so there's a, there's, you're in the zip code and let's say you're pastoring that zip code and everybody in your church tithes just for the sake of argument. Okay. Yeah. You get a book deal, number one, but, uh, but <laughs> <laughs> but if you're if you're going to talk to that congregation about international disaster relief, you're going to speak to them differently than if you're in working class New Jersey or rural Tennessee. I live in the state of Tennessee. And if, if you know that, hey, I'm in I'm in a blue collar area of Tennessee and I know this is the giving profile of my people. I know that half of these folks aren't giving hmm. or I live in um, I just picking any one of a number of areas, but like in general, I, when I'm looking at a, at a congregation, I do some giving band analyses on it. And I do uh, like a, what I call it an NCT analysis, which is a nominal committed tithing analysis. And so based on the zip codes, I'll look and say, Hey, how many family units are giving close to 10, 10% uh, of the median zip code income in their area? So if you if you know like if you know that it looks like half of your congregation is tithing, first of all, you might be lying. But like let's say that that was the case, you're going to talk about other giving opportunities differently. So it informs your language, and that's been when I've worked with pastors. Um, when you look at like what you just referenced, every week we have an opportunity to talk about giving in our yeah. offering times. Yeah, yep. Most pastors do that in a way that's homogenous. They talk to people as if they're in the same place in their giving journey, and they really aren't. Yeah. So the giving metrics help the pastors I coach understand that. Yeah. Like, hey, these are the these are this is the percentage of your congregation that gives nothing. So when you're talk, set the bar low. Mm -hmm. This is the percentage of congregation that's tithing. When you talk about tithing, say, I know some of you are already doing this, or address them specifically. Yeah. I my God, that might be a more roundabout answer, but the point here is that. The, the risk of not knowing and understanding the giving data doesn't give you the ability to understand and even begin to look at what those pastoral opportunities are. And most of those, I would say probably 100% of the time, are going to lead you into some kind of discipleship of your people. 
And For whether sure. it's to increase their, their trust in God in the area of giving beyond the tithe or getting them to trust uh, God to just begin tithing or just to begin giving anything at all. So For sure. You know, I think this is something that we all talk about. People are always um, in, in our process of becoming more like Christ. There are steps that we take. We're in process, right? Uh, it's something that God had begun and says that, you know, he's faithful to complete it. Well, that means that he's consistently working in our lives. And as a pastor, you have an opportunity to speak to your people and help them take those next steps, right? Whether it's a next step to to trust God, whether it's to you know, shore up and, and get better at managing your money so you actually have the ability to give. I think mm-hmm. it's something that a lot of pastors don't don't think about. They think, well, you know, people should give whatever they're able to. Yeah, but do we even talk about helping them to become able? Because a lot yeah. of folks we know are, are are straddled with debt, living paycheck to paycheck. And if all we talk about is give, 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 and that's the only connection to money that we have with them, unfortunately, it's not equipping them to be better stewards themselves and life no. That's what we really want. Yeah. So, you, you know, I told you I used to work for Dave Ramsey, right? So I'm mm-hmm. all about the equipping and the get and the yeah, getting people to give. That's part but of there's it. Language, that's part. There's language. There's language that we, that we hear um, that I sometimes have issues with. Well, you know, I want you to give out of your abundance. Maybe, mm-hmm. maybe. I mean, there was a widow in the Bible who gave out of her scarcity all she had to live on. Yeah. So I like. There's. We need to know who we're talking to, and we need to know where they're at. Metrics help us do that. They're not perfect, but yeah. it's a tool. Yeah, it's it's definitely an improvement to not knowing anything at all. <laughs> sure. And remember, I mean, if you write down one thing from this podcast, anonymous giving leads to anonymous yeah. non-giving. non-giving. Yeah, that's excellent. I love it. All right. So here's another question then, uh, drilling a little deeper into the spiritual opportunities and, and pastoral opportunities. So what are some of those? Uh, what spiritual opportunities can emerge by understanding the giving data at the church and taking those next steps? You know, I, I'm fond of saying that in stewardship, every person has a next step. And mm-hmm. so uh, it's you, it's me. Um, you know, Robert Morris has a next step in stewardship. His yeah. his next step's different than mine or Dave Ramsey's, uh, you know, or, or any of the other people that I admire. But everybody's got a next step. So if you know where people are at, it's easier to help them take that. And just in terms of giving, I mean, people have, there's really only a handful of next steps you can have, right? right? One, one is to start giving. You're going to increase giving. Or you're going to start to learn to give extravagantly and to let to let go of things. You know, I don't read. I haven't read the Blessed Life more than once. I'm afraid it's going to cost me too much money. So, <laughs> so, that. but but those are every person has a next step. And um, when we talk about pastoral needs, we can we, these do inform me. Hey, I, I sold financial peace for years. I'm a I'm a big fan. I'm a big fan of living debt free. Mm. But you know what? But I learned from Dave Briggs and from Chris Goulard. That debt isn't actually debt is usually a symptom of a larger issue. Why am I in debt for that thing? Mm-hmm. What is it? What is it about? What is about um, that car and how that car makes me feel mm-hmm. that so badly makes me want to buy it so much so that I'm going to not fund my kid's college but make payments on this thing for five or seven years. So at the end of that time, I can finance another car. Yeah. What 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 is that? What is that in me? Do you know the huge number of people that don't have that don't have wills or estate plans? Some I'm working through in our own lives right now, just redoing that since we moved states. Are we afraid of death? Are we really afraid of that? Mm. Like, why is it that we haven't done a will? Yeah. Really. So, whatever the next step is, the next step might be getting in some kind of equipping class, like a financial piece or a crown. 
for um, um, the new one that they have out of, uh, out of uh, thank you, Freed Up, just the name ran out of my head, yeah. um, which I think, I think is excellently produced. Mm -hmm. uh, what, whatever, whatever the need, whatever the next step is, yeah. um, it's going to be either an equipping and basic stewardship management. It's going to be like how I'm running my money. It's going to be in generosity or um, it will be in the area of contentment. And those, those are kind of the three lanes I tend to put stewardship ministry in. Yeah. Yeah. That's, that's very well put. I mean, it is, it requires all three, right? Uh, mm -hmm. We, I think for, a, you know, there's, there's a good number of people that just need equipping. They just need to know mm -hmm. how to make good decisions, how to wrestle through what you just described as an example, which is, you know, I really want that car, but it's not the car that's the issue. It's not the fact that you don't have the money no. that's the issue or that you should borrow or not borrow. Because sometimes people have, you know, I've been in a situation where uh, I actually bought a, a vehicle at the beginning of this year and I hadn't bought a vehicle in, I think it's been like 10 years uh, for myself. I bought my wife a car a few years ago, but we're not the kind of people that buy cars every few years. Uh, we buy used cars and we hang on to them. And it's not because we like to drive junk, but it's just not something I, I have a huge need to spend a lot of money on. There are other things I like to spend money on, but not cars. And I'm a mechanic, so I can fix them, so I can do that. But when I look at that and I think about that, I recognize that you know some people who, when they make those decisions, whatever that specific thing you want the most, it's really pointing to something that's inside of us that God wants to address. There's an internal something there. And this is where I think churches can play a pivotal role, and pastors can do that on the weekends to really guide that conversation and guide those decisions. But yet, you know, you can't really teach people and disciple people on a Sunday morning sermon, right? No, you, you can't. can't. We think we can. We, we think we can. We think we can. We can. And, and I come across this with pastors all, you know, all the time. They're like, well, I just, I need to teach a sermon on giving. I'm like, yeah, you do. And you can't stop with that. Yeah. Joe, you know, no. as, as I'm sitting here listening to you, when I think about pastoring people in the area of money. So Robert Morris says the blessed life runs on two legs, generosity and stewardship. Yes. And I would add, I, I'm, I'm not going to correct Robert Morris. I'm going to add, add something. I think that there is a theme that runs all through scripture of contentment and satisfaction, mm -hmm. but I'm not sure fits neatly into either one of those categories. Mm. And so when I, when I think about, when I think about helping people grow as a pastor, I want you to be satisfied. And I'd refer you Jeff Mannion out of Ada Bible. He has a he has a book by that by that name and some content and curriculum I think to go with it. But it's like that I it's called Satisfied. Satisfied. And I I think that um he did just a great series on that a number of years ago, and I think that um that's a pastoral issue. Are we are we satisfied? Are we content? Mm -hmm. Yeah. Our pastors can help lead us there. And yeah. metrics just kind of this took a little bit of a detour, but metrics help bring us there because they tell us. I mean, if you if you could know the average debt load of the people in your congregation, would you want to know that? Yes. Why? Because you wanted to go through financial peace. Maybe, maybe there's something significantly deeper that you want to address mm -hmm. as somebody who cares for their spiritual condition. Yeah. Yeah. And this is why, you know, this podcast beyond the metrics is because that's really what's important. The metrics themselves are just a tool 
but it's a necessary tool to paint a picture of what's really going on, or at least help us to get a better sense of what's going on. And like you said earlier, metrics aren't 100% accurate and, and you can read them different ways. So, the, but the more you are exposed to it, the more you use them, the more you can use them for the right way, at least to point you in the right direction. Not knowing at all, well, you're just kind of in the dark. You have no idea what's really going on. And from both perspectives, the business risk and also from the lack of pastoral opportunities and ministry opportunities, you're going to miss it. If you don't understand and not use metrics, It's I just don't know how you could run a church well without it. it it's like It's like running a business without a financial plan. It's, sure. doomed, it's doomed to failure. I mean, listen, when I ran a business, which it's been some years, it's been it's been more than a few, but a couple of tools I always had open on my desktop. The application we used to manage the the actual tasks we were doing is enterprise system. Mm-hmm. I had uh, Microsoft Outlook yeah. and QuickBooks. Yeah. QuickBooks was always open because as I'm thinking about making decisions about things, the you know, Money's a metric and it, I would make decisions. So those were the three applications I always had open. I'd come in to turn on my computer and open those three things. Yeah. What's yeah, happening well, outside, what's happening inside and where's the money going? Yeah, so important, but it's such a such a great um, tool. And you mentioned Mortarstone and there's a few others out there, but Mortarstone certainly has created some great, great tools that churches can use. And so we do recommend them. They're, they're obviously a partner, somebody we, be, we believe in and what they do. But regardless of what you use, um, you know, Kent started doing this before Mortarstone came around and had the resources. He started, had yeah. somebody code code something to pop up yeah. a, a warning that, hey, so-and-so stopped giving. And, you know, I know we've most of us have heard this, but when somebody stops giving, they usually stop giving several months before they leave the church. Mm-hmm. And, and it's, it's either because they're disgruntled in some way, they don't agree with something, whether it's theological or something else, or they've had a significant life event. Yeah, they lost a job. Maybe they, maybe their spouses got cancer, and they're traveling a hundred miles to treat them every week. And you know, you don't know what's going on in their lives. And if you just assume that, well, one, if you don't know, you don't know, and that's bad. Mm-hmm. But even if you do know and you don't take action, you know, then are we really pastoring people? Yeah, then we miss. And I think that all of us have a, an inherent bias, which is our own. We filter, we filter the world as if whatever is going on is exactly the way we see it as if somebody's circumstances are exact are identical to ours as if their mm-hmm. upbringing is the same and of course this is never true intellectually we give credence to this but it's different it's it's different to have been yeah everybody's situation is is different right but just going to give some examples and they all fall short but the reason you might stop giving would be different than the reason somebody else would stop giving and be curious yeah 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 Hey, I, I appreciate so much what you brought to the table today because I think some of the, especially some of the phrases you used uh, are, are catchy and hopefully they made an impact. Uh, all <laughs> Let's do them time. again. Here we go. <laughs> anonymous giving leads to anonymous non-giving yep. and faucets are better than fire hoses. All right. Well, thank you, Ken. Appreciate your uh, input today and, and just your experience and your knowledge in this and uh, and your heart for ministry. I mean, obviously you you said that when you got out of the business world and came into stewardship, not knowing it was there. Obviously, it made a difference because because uh, you've been at it and been doing a great job. So I appreciate you. I appreciate your friendship with uh, with CSN, with me personally, and everything that you do uh, for this movement. Cool, man. Thanks for having me on. Yep. And if you've been listening to this podcast, thank you so much. We so enjoy creating content like this. We hope it was helpful. We hope that 
that you take away something from this. If you're a senior pastor or a preaching pastor or just a pastor at a church, that somehow you'll take this information and process through what changes or what different things you need to do potentially to use that giving data. If you don't have it yet, get it. Whether it's Mortarstone, some other organization that can help you get it, get it. Uh, because it will help inform the decisions both on the business side and on the ministry side. And we think it's a vital, vital tool that every church should be using. And then if you want to know more about CSN and how we can help you to equip your people to manage money God's way and learn about generosity and stewardship, well, that's what we exist for. We exist to train and equip church leaders so that they can also train their people. So connect with us. We're at christianstewardshipnetwork.com. We also have a membership and other great resources for you. We would love to come alongside you and help you build a ministry that's going to be that drip type of thing, not fire hose thing that Kent was talking about. <laughs> so thank you so much for joining us. We'll see you next time on Stewardship Leader. <laughs>